Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Boston, Massachusetts, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Learning Insights. Lee Cantor, Stone Payton here with you. Uh, I think this might be the final session for today. This may be the home stretch, Lee. The closer, the headliner. All right. Uh, our headliner, our closer, is Senior Vice President with a company called Smarterer. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, Mr. Larry Israelite. Welcome, sir. How are you? I'm well. Nice to be here and nice to see spring in Boston. <laughs> so can you share a little bit about Smarter? What are you guys up to over there? Sure. Well, Smarter is a startup um, and uh, our goal is to uh, help professionals take control of their professional destinies. Mm -hmm. We do that by offering a suite of skills assessments that help people understand the things they know, the things they don't know, and then what they can work on to become more skilled in their current jobs, um, figure out what other jobs they might be interested in or qualified for. Now, in your career, have you always worked in startups or you worked in large organizations? Uh, mostly large organizations. This so is a new thing for me. The first time? First time startup-er? It's true. -er? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So what made you um, take the plunge? Well, for, for as long as I can remember, my wife and I have been sort of closet entrepreneurs. We always had lots of business ideas that we wanted to try out. And, and like most people that have that desire, the time was never right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we walked away from several of them. And, and Smarter came to present to me in my role as head of learning and development at Liberty Mutual. And, and I loved the product and I liked the people a lot. And it just seemed like if I was going to do this, this was the time. Mm -hmm. So I decided to give it a shot. So now on these other ideas, they were just ideas? You never tried to execute at any level? We we actually executed two. Mm -hmm. um, one of them uh, came about because a friend of ours and my wife both had babies at the same time. And we noticed that the only thing that people brought as gifts died or deflated before you <laughs> left the hospital. <laughs> So, so we created a product called Teleteddy, uh -huh. uh, which was, this now is, this is a long time mm -hmm. ago. It was a 13-inch teddy bear, uh, an even flow nursery full of candy, uh, a bottle of sparkling cider, and two champagne glasses with candy in them. Mm -hmm. And we delivered them to local hospitals in Washington, D.C. And then how'd that go? Well, it, it, it went well. Everyone who got one ordered one, and everyone who ordered one ordered another one. And then we introduced Valenteddy. Uh -huh. which was the Valentine's Day version. And, <laughs> nice. And, and this was sort of sad and nice at the same time. Um, we had Sick Teddy oh. for children in, in, children hospitals. Yeah, in hospitals in Washington. And, and it was going pretty well, but the difference was this was uh, at the time when balloons and flowers were big. And the balloon people would take out the, an ad on the entire back cover of the Washington Post magazine, and we'd have this little tiny oh, half-inch right. by half-inch ad inside the paper somewhere. Uh, so we left Washington, moved to Boston, and uh, because of this, no, venture? no, we did, we just did. Right. Um, we left in December. In in mid January, a Washington radio station identified Valentetti as one of the top gifts oh. for Valentine's Day. <laughs> wow. Which would have given the business the that boost that it needed. Right. right. right of course. Now the one I really mm -hmm. regret not doing was we we um, my wife and I and our kids went to movies all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, this was this was just before the internet became a thing, mm -hmm. and just before people decided that video games needed other ratings. 
So we could never pick movies based on the movie rating system. So we created our own. <laughs> uh, we rated movies on uh, language, sex, and nudity, and violence, fear, and gore. And the goal was to put a little sticker on the back of videotapes in the mm -hmm. video store so parents could look it up, look, pick up the video, and decide sort of what they were comfortable with their children seeing. Right. Uh, we got as far as starting the business. Uh, we had partners. We invented the scale. We spent an entire summer watching movies. We had a catalog <laughs> of hundreds of movies that we had wow. rated. Um, we were two weeks away from piloting, and we had a fight with our best friends, the partners. Oh, wow. And um, it turned out we couldn't negotiate a, a transfer of property, and so the movie, uh, the business just never happened. Wow. So you learned some lessons about business. We did. And that didn't scare you away from this venture? No. I mean, the sad <laughs> thing about the, the last one was it was before anything had been invented like this at all, and it could right. have been a really big business, but... And we especially learned. with the advent of the internet and your skills now about with crowdsourcing. Yes. And all that combination would have dovetailed very nicely, I think. So when Smarter came around, I said, okay, this is it. It's my last shot. I got to go do this. <laughs> and your wife was on board? She was. And that, so, so were my kids. <laughs> so now what's it like in now you're kind of immersed in this startup world? It's a different, you know, there's no help desk. There's no, you know all the support that you would have had in a large organization. It's kind of every man for himself and everybody wears multiple hats. That's correct. I mean, the, the thing I said when I first transitioned, I've been there about seven or eight months. So I, was, I, I left, I left my job. Um, I had 125 people reporting to me. I worked, went in Monday morning. I had one. <laughs> I had an How office. many people were in the whole company? Uh, now, well, when I went there, there were 14. Now there's 21 or 22. Right. Um, I had an office probably bigger than this conference room. <laughs> I got there, I had a table, mm -hmm. um, no phone. Right, because so, you have your own cell phone. You don't yes, need a company exactly. phone. So, so, I mean, these are the trivial things, but they were just sort of funny. Oh, the other thing was, um, it took me about a week, but I finally went to work in T-shirt and jeans. <laughs> but you were wearing a suit? I was wearing so a suit. So that was the toughest part of the transition, was getting comfortable with a different wardrobe? That was it. It was, it was really a challenge in the morning. Um, and, and then... Huh. So there's little things that are funny, and, and yeah. I got a kick out of them. But but the other thing that that's certainly the case is there's a much greater sense of urgency because mm -hmm. every decision you make can be a business betting decision. Right. Um, uh, there's a, a lot more change that happens more quickly with more urgency. Mm -hmm. You have to be very nimble because the market changes, the product changes, right. the things your customers want change, and you have to be, be very responsive. And to the that. company could change dramatically it, overnight, literally, it, where in your previous organization. It took a while. <laughs> well, the price and risk of failure of change is, I mean, the stakes are pretty darn high. Almost every yeah. decision is to bet your business yeah. decision. Yeah, right. wow. So now, how did you, were you comfortable with that? Because it's a different, you know, your, your impact is much larger in this group. Well, I, I think when you take the plunge, you have mm -hmm. to be comfortable with all the things that, you, that um, right. go with it. But now that you've been doing it for a while, has it gotten easier or you kind of get immune to this where it's not as like yeah, life yep. or death at every turn? I think if you get immune to it, you lose your edge. <laughs> so you need that a little bit of fear, a little bit of... Yeah. yeah Still you know, want that flutter in your heart, right? <laughs> you, 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 have to, you have to be willing to, to sort of look at what's going on and make the change you have to make to drive the business the way you want to drive it. So now, um, what motivated the founders to start the business? It's actually a pretty funny story. So, so this founder who has founded five other companies before this one. So he founded and exited five other companies? Yeah. Um, he was trying to hire someone for his last company as a data analyst. And he has the interview. And at the end of the interview, the person says, well, aren't you going to ask me about R? 
and he said, well, what's R? And, and the person said, well, R is a, a program I use to do data analysis, and how can you interview me if, if you, you don't, don't know, know about R? <laughs> so so for those of you that are going to interview for a job, not a good thing to criticize the interviewer. <laughs> That's a good interview tip. Uh, so this person didn't get the job, but he then said, okay, how would I know if someone knew about R? So he called some testing companies um, who shall go nameless, and they said, oh, R, interesting. We don't have a test like that, but give us four or five months and forty thousand dollars and and can you tell us about some subject matter experts we might be able to help you out so he not coming from anything related to testing or learning development or assessment said there's got to be some better way to do this uh and so he he got together with a partner and they invented um uh sort of the crowdsourced approach to test development which i'll talk about in a second and also an, a, a new way to actually analyze test results but the, the crowdsourced approach to test development was based on a very simple concept, which is that 10 years ago, four to six months to build a test might be acceptable. But skills change incredibly quickly. Um, I, in, in one of the presentations I do now, I, I comment that Apple released um, two major operating systems and seven releases or five other releases within a year. So imagine if you're writing the test for that content it changes all the time. Right, every other month. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, and the second thing is that that very often the people that actually know the most about tools, especially technology tools, are the people who do the work every single day. And they're often pretty far away from the people somewhere else that are writing the tests. Sure. So if our goal was to speed up test development and make sure that tests always accurately represented the current state of practice related to those skills, the concept of crowdsourcing made perfect sense. Right. right? It's no different than um, uh, keeping traffic up to date or, or other information right. that you want to know immediately what's right and what's not. So now, but how does that get executed? Are you asking the people who are doing the work to actually design the questions for the test? Um, we, we allow people to suggest tests. Um, they can author test questions for those tests. Um, when you're taking a test, you can comment on a question so if you think that, I mean, the, the best example is we ask a question, it was appropriate three months or two months or even three weeks earlier, but now something's changed. Mm -hmm. And so the person taking the test can, can answer the question and give us feedback that says, that's not how this is practiced anymore. Here's the way you right. should ask that question. And that question can get back into the workflow pretty quickly. So uh, like I'm familiar with an app called Waze that's a crowdsourced yes. um, traffic app. And it'll say policeman here, and then they'll ask, is he still here? Like they're going to give me a suggestion that there was a policeman there at one <laughs> point, and they're asking me to say if the person is still there. So it sounds like that's similar kind of yeah, thinking. very similar. The content might have been right three months ago or two months right. ago, and it's not right now. And, and with traditional tests, it would just stay that way until they pulled the test back and put it back into production and revised it. And we can do that not quite on the fly, but almost on the fly. Now, is it something that um, if one person says that it's incorrect, is is that warrant changing something, or do you need is there an algorithm to determine that that person's accurate? Well, there there, there are a couple of things we need to look at. First of all, the the question doesn't automatically change because someone said it did. I mean, one of the things we have to think about what's was what the motivation of the person who said it right. was wrong. Sometimes it's because they're mad. Right. <laughs> or they don't know the answer. Or they don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, so. And this question is not right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Anybody with kids would know that. Yes. <laughs> or, yeah, young or old. <laughs> right. 
Um, so we, we have a what we call a professor system, so that periodically people will look at the, the list of comments, and someone who is a subject matter expert can either authorize the change, um, but what often happens is we see these interesting dialogues between the people arguing about what's right, and then something changes. Uh-huh. So it's, it's... So the crowd kind of manages it. So. Yes, exactly. And so are there additional considerations for ensuring test quality when you go this route? We, we, we have a, a process for There's kind of two things we want to look at. One, does the test actually, does the, does the test question and the test actually measure the thing it's supposed to be measuring in a way that's consistent and reliable and all the things. That but that's why you're there, right? I, I'm, yeah. I'm, you're kind I'm of there, the there overseer to help with that, that yes. Right? Um, but we also just look for really simple things like spelling and typos and commas misplaced and, and um, um, the way people use language. And so we'll now update questions based on that also because what's really important is that the questions have face validity. If I take a test and I see something in the test I don't like, it changes the way I feel about it. Right. And a typo, if, you're, if you see a typo, you're like, oh, if that's not right, you know, what other things yes. aren't right? Yes, exactly. Now, are you only doing this in English, or are you doing this in other languages as well? Um, right now, we're predominantly English. But remember, because we're crowdsourced, um, a non-English-speaking person could create a test. Right. Um, and usually, we wouldn't know what it said. <laughs> but, but most of our tests are in English. And we're, we're exploring whether or not large-scale translation is, is appropriate or necessary or worthwhile. All right. Now, I understand that you have an acquisition in your very recent history. Yes, we were acquired in November by a company called Plural Site. Well, and that was while you were there, so you were part of that? I was there for yeah. three months at the time. <laughs> so that must have been because of you then, right? Right. Well, <laughs> I don't know. People might say in spite of me. <laughs> Look, they, they can connect the dots. So now what's it like have been acquired now? That's another... That beats the heck out of getting in an argument and, and, and just, you know, just throwing away the whole shooting match. Well, right? I, it, it's... Really the same as what we talked about when we started this. It, it's just more change. More change. You know, figuring out what's the best possible way to take the thing that we have built. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even say that. The thing that my, my people in my company mm-hmm. have built, me being the benefactor <laughs> of that. And how does it support and integrate with Pluralsight's goals? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a regular conversation, and, and it's been evolving. Now, um, has the culture changed now that you guys have been acquired? No, actually, one of the things that's so wonderful about the acquisition is that we, we looked at when, when they acquired us, they had a set of pretty um, important values. Right. And they were remarkably consistent with ours. So you're still not allowed to wear a suit? No. <laughs> still against the rules. Well, it was, it was actually funny. The first meeting I attended there, I didn't quite know the rules yet. So I, had, I wasn't wearing a suit, but I was wearing business attire and... and you could tell I didn't. And you didn't fit in. Yeah. And soon you'll be bringing your dog. Everything's changing, right? <laughs> we don't have dogs there at this point. So now uh, other news for you uh, is this release of your book, More Lies About Learning. That's true. So that's coming out in, uh, what, a month yeah, or two? Yeah, uh, end of May at the ATD International Exposition. <laughs> and that's because it was uh, published by ATD? It was. And this is the sequel to... Your previous book about lies about learning. That's right. So now, uh, what? When did the first book come out? Seven or eight years ago? Yeah, about eight years ago now. It's been a while. So now, what was the impetus about writing the book that uh, back then? Well, I, I, uh, well, oh, the first one. The first one. Um, right. It's actually kind of funny. I, I had just, I've been in this business a long time, and I had this list. You've been keeping track. I've been keeping track <laughs> of all the lies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wow. 
um, or, or, the, or the ones that just the most ir- irritated me. I, so you didn't want to go with myths. You went with lies. No, I mean, uh, you know, the, 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 what, what got this started was I, I'm an instructional designer. Okay. That's what I went to school to learn how to do. Um, I used to tell people I work with, I'm one of the few people, it's actually changed mm-hmm. now, but I did the same, same work for 33 years. I loved every minute of it. Right. And I go to conferences year after year after year, and there would always be a presenter that was describing the death of instructional design. Right. And you could track it. It first happened when computer-based training first came out because school teachers were going to do it. And then multimedia came out, and then it was going to be video producers. And then e-learning came out, and it was going to be the graphic, uh, I used to say, um, computer science graduates and their significant others, the graphic <laughs> designers. <laughs> um, and so one of the lies was lies about instructional design because it's, it's, it's helpful. It's useful. It makes better instruction. So I had right. this whole list. And, so and what was the very first lie that made the list? That was, it was that one. That one? Yeah. But there, there were lies about learning management. There were lies about learners. How many lies? Um, in this book, there are nine. That's it? Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> in the first book, how many? Look, one big lie can do a, a lot of damage. I think, it it be lies. I, I think there might have been 10 or 11 in the first one. <laughs> so but, what was the, the, the chapter that came together the easiest for you, and what was the one that, that came together, you know, was really tough to get it all put together? Well, so I, I need to credit other people here. The, the role you don't I, have to. I know. <laughs> I should. Um, the, the role I play in these is, is I assemble the lies and the people. Oh wow! Name um, names. So so I I I find people that have particular expertise in different topics, and then I ask them to write about this particular lie. Okay. So ah, so Elliot cool. Maisie contributed a chapter about uh, lies about learning technology. Michael mm-hmm. Allen did lies about e-learning. Um, um, so I have different people in the industry write okay. about these things. Great. All right. And so is there is there one that really stood out for you, and that 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 maybe surprised you a little bit, and you just didn't see it coming? Actually, there was. Um, it was a woman that used to work for me who now is, is doing HR. Um, she kind of left the learning space for a while and doing HR for Kimberly Clark. And But at the time, she was a sort of a quasi-chief learning officer. And she wrote a book called Lies About Learning Strategy. And what she talked about, which was very surprising to me, was how you can take the Addy instructional design model and apply it to the development of learning strategy by thinking about the same kinds of things, but just slightly shifting the questions a little. Mm-hmm. And I, like I had never thought about that before. And she did a, an excellent job of describing a way to systematically go about building a learning strategy for organization with a methodology to support it and one that most people in learning professions are familiar with. So I just thought that was really clever. <laughs> So what are your plans for the book? It'll be released. Uh, ATD's obviously behind it, and you've got some folks with a great uh, reputation, quite a bit of horsepower that are contributors. So it's going to get some vis- visibility. What are your, your goals, your hopes, your dreams for the book? What, what are you hoping that it, that, it, that it does? Like Oprah Book Club? Yeah, that, that's, that was it, yeah. Um, I actually have, uh, you know, my, my reason, the reason I write these things is I envision this situation and I'm, I'm now about to offend the people who sponsored me here, so <laughs> nothing personal. Um, but I, I always had this vision of someone new to the profession having to deal with a very effective vendor. Mm-hmm. And the vendor's saying all this stuff, and the person doesn't know how to react because he or she doesn't have a lot of experience in the right. discipline. Mm-hmm. So my goal for the book, for the first one, was always that, that you could read the chapter, which everyone made sense at the time, and no questions to ask to get to get beyond the kind of the hype right and get to the or the what I'll say is the creative fiction 
and get to the truth mm-hmm. where you can really focus on what is really here that can be of value to me and how can I tell um, which parts are probably right and which parts are a little exaggerated. So now when the book comes out, how does, how do, when you're getting published by ATD, what is, like, what's their role and how do they help you? Um, well, this time, as opposed to last time, they actually have a marketing plan. So did they publish the first book? They did. Okay, so this is the second round for you. I've actually done another yeah. one with them also. Oh, okay. But not lies. No, no it, was about, it was about talent management. <laughs> so now, so over the years, what, how have they uh, improved their kind of support? They, they, have, they have marketing now, which is nice. Um, so they, they're doing a little more than they had done in the past to help um, identify opportunities to get the book in front of the people or the idea of the book in front of people who might find it interesting and of some use. And then do they help you, like, speak in front of groups or to... I think um, the one of the interesting things about the publishing industry is, uh, and I have a story to, to connect with this, but it it has shifted almost the entire burden onto the author. Um, there are the two, one who writes the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. So well, then they just print the book. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, ST is a little better, but I I'd submitted a I had a, a book idea a few years ago called um, uh, Good Hab- or Bad Habits of Good Managers. Mm-hmm. And since I'd published before, it gave me a little up with agents. And so right. I'd, I'd contacted an agent, and, and basically um, the deal was, well, okay, so I'll get it placed, but marketing is completely your responsibility. And I had a real job. Right. And so the idea of going off to 10 conferences a month and you know doing all the things that you have to do to really promote a book kind of didn't make sense to me. And, and the publishing company wanted no part of it. In fact, one, one publisher says, won't publish the book unless you give them a marketing plan before you ever start. Nice. <laughs> so it's just the, 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 and I understand it because of technology has, has changed. And, and now, today, in some ways, self-publishing might be the best route because at least it, you get the money. In the, in the other case, with uh, bad habits of good managers, by the time it got done, I was going to make like a nickel a box or something. <laughs> right. So I didn't, I didn't do that one. So what's next for you? You kind of you, you've got you're on the back side of the book. I know you got the big promotion and all that. What's where are you going to be putting your energy and effort over the next six ten months? Big promotion? Did I miss that? <laughs> well, now you're part of this. Oh, I changed. Site. Yes. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, um, I, I think I'm just going to enjoy it. Um, I, you know, my my goal is to help make the company succeed, mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, learn a lot about what it is that makes some companies be successful and others be more challenged in that way. So had you ever crowdsourced things before getting involved with Smarter? Well, I, I think in some ways learning learning professionals would say they do crowdsource mm-hmm. by inviting subject matter ex- experts to participate. But uh, I haven't seen anything like this where you really do give tools to the hand – you put tools in the hands of practitioners right. and allow them to influence things in the same way that someone who's four miles ahead of you on the highway – can tell you don't come here get off at exit 12 and but that requires that comfort in uh, a certain amount of chaos and the unknowns you mean for working in a startup well to crowdsourcing i mean you're trusting the crowd yeah you 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 have to trust the crowd at some point and and, you know the goal of the model is that the crowd corrects itself and And that's been you've seen that happen yeah now, do they do it as much as we'd like? Probably not. Right. But I think if you look at Wikipedia, people put stuff in there that wasn't true and other people caught we'll fix it. Fix it. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of the same concept, just applied to something that's, that's I don't say more businessy, but, but 
there's more action that happens around it. Is there a certain size crowd you need in order to make this be effective? We have, we've created something called the cultivated crowd where we identify people who are practitioners and assemble them and usually 15 to 20 is plenty. Oh, really? That's all you need in yeah. order? And, the, and they'll update it and they'll kind of stay engaged? Well, that, that's for the construction part. Mm-hmm. Um, once, it's, once it's in play, our tests are taken by thousands of people so the crowd is big. So it's always, um, but the people who are involved, when they're in the thousands, they're always kind of self-correcting things? They're, they're, a lot of people are motivated to do that. Is there a ratio? I, I couldn't tell you what it was if there was one. Uh, you're going to hear that again, cultivated crowd. I, well, I like alliteration for yeah, one thing, but that you're going to hear that again from me. I like that whole concept and that and that idea. Counsel, if any, for people coming up in the profession, with your experience base that you now have in place, would you have them? Would you advise them to go get, as you put it, a, a, a real job in a big company, and then go out and be the entrepreneur, or would you encourage them to seriously entertain? The, the startup entrepreneurial route, or what counsel, if any, would you offer? Uh, uh, wow. So I, I can go both ways on that. Um, if you have the intestinal fortitude um, and the willingness to take risks and, and you live a life that is sufficiently unencumbered that allows you to do it, I'd say go do it. I mean, I have a son who's just finishing business school, and, and the choice was his job offers were three companies in various states of startup, but right. but one was a, two of them actually were pretty established companies, and one was a startup, and you know in the end we said even thinking about his debt and all the things he's going to deal with, you know you're young you got to go do it now. So oh, yeah, before the mortgage, before the four yeah, kids and the yeah. minivan and the whole bit. Yeah. Okay. So so he did. And, you know, he starts in a couple, he starts in June, although he started already. Sure. And, and cause you know, once you, once you go the other direction, when you, when you have mortgages and you do all those things, it's just harder. Yeah. Now, lots of people do it and I admire them greatly for, for, for being willing to do that. On the other hand, I, I had a great life. Right. I had a great career. I got to do really interesting work and, and build really cool things and influence lots of people. I just did it inside of bigger companies than in my own company. But when the time was right, you pulled the trigger though. Yeah. And now you're reaping the rewards. <laughs> Sounds like you're still having a great life. Doing good stuff, having fun. <laughs> All right, so where can our listeners get their hands on this book? Where can they learn more about it? And uh, where can they learn more about Smarterer? Well, um, for the book, you can, you can if you Google search um, more lies about learning, you can get linked to an ATD publications page that has a little description of it, and you can pre-order it. And to learn more about Smarter, go to www.smarterer.com. And so it's still called Smarter? It is. Good stuff. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for coming by and visiting with us. And uh, when we get a little further down the road and the books have been out there a little while and you've done some more stuff, uh, let's do this again when we come back through town, all right? Happy to. All right. Lee, I think that's a wrap, man. That is a wrap. All right. Wrapping here from Training Pros Boston. We'll see you next time on Learning Insights. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.